Grace and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history as recorded by Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you on their synagogue, in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. This summer, we spent several weeks looking at Jesus' instruction to his disciples before he sends them out on their first evangelism journey. We skipped this text, but this is part of those instructions. We skipped it to save it for today, where Jesus tells us, pay very close attention. The Greek word, when we translate it, he really wants these guys to understand this, and he wants us to know it. He says, I myself am sending you out as sheep in the middle of wolves. Therefore, be as sharp-witted as snakes and as pure as doves. It's very clear that the world hates the idea that forgiveness is a free gift from God. It is so built into our sinful nature that in spite of hearing the word of God over and over again, we just can't help but to think, I have to be good enough. I have to try hard enough. Something so important as salvation, we have a hard time getting it through our head that it's a free gift because we can't earn it. We aren't good enough. So God in his love for you and I became a man and he was good enough. He was more than good enough for us in our place. Jesus makes it clear that the world hates this message and it will persecute those who cling to it. In fact, the world had lost this message. In 1517, the world was enshrouded in darkness. Forgiveness became something you earned with fear and trembling. And in fact, these things called indulgences, the idea was there were some people who could be so holy that they could more than earn their forgiveness, they could earn an abundance of forgiveness, and you, with money, could buy it. A frustrated monk who happened to be a college professor at Wittenberg, or Wittenberg nails 95 theses to a cathedral door. That was the community bulletin board at that time. It's April 17, or it's, it's October 31st of 1517. He gives those who would argue against him the upper hand by, by giving the 95 points that he is going to use against selling indulgences. He didn't know at this time that salvation is as free a gift as he would come to learn. He didn't know at this time that this abuse wasn't just a local abuse, that it went all the way up to the office of the Pope himself, who was making money 
off of people's misery. We focus on that nailing of that 95 Thesis during the Reformation, and we often do so excluding the fact, forgetting the fact that Luther did not quite fully comprehend that salvation was a free gift yet. Through the crosses, through the persecution, the hardships that would come, God would nail that into his head through the Word, and we find him in one of the very uh, courtrooms that Jesus had warned his disciples about. Remember in today's passage where he had said that uh, they will hand you, they'll flog you in councils or in synagogues. They will whip you in their synagogues. They'll hand you over to councils. Martin Luther has a price on his head. And it's actually the German governor, government, Elector, uh, Elector Frederick, that secures a promise from the government that Martin Luther traveling to and from the Diet of Worms will not be harmed. Even if found guilty, he'll be allowed to return home. Now, whether they keep that word or not, obviously, is another story. So now we fast forward ahead to this Diet of Worms. It's April 17th. It's 1521. It's 4 p.m. Martin Luther has written books showing the bondage that the church has put people under. He's written, he's written his catechism showing the proper understanding of the law. He wants to debate. That's why he nailed that 95 thesis. He wants people to show him using the word of God that he's wrong. Otherwise, he's going to stand on that word of God. The inquisitor is there as the pope's representative. The emperor, uh, Emperor uh, Charles, is there. And the room is packed with soldiers who have weapons like pikes that are excited, waiting for the order to run this monk who's caused all these problems to run him through with their pikes. He wants a debate. Instead, this is what he's asked. Are you the author of these books? Martin Luther responds, These books are all mine and I've written more. He knows the freedom he has in Christ. He's not going to forsake it. He's standing firm on the promise of God's free forgiveness. So he's asked, Do you care to defend all of them or do you care to reject a part? That's it. He's not going to be allowed to defend his point or defend his books. Yes or no question, that's all he's asked. But Martin Luther has come to understand forgiveness is free. It's very clear to him. His books have spelled it out. He's standing on the promises of God's free forgiveness. Instead of getting a yellow streak, he's a German. They're known for being stubborn. But in this case, it's good because he's right. He's on the word of God. He says, this pertains to God. I need more time. He's given 26 hours. He is being as shrewd as a serpent. He spends the night doing what a Christian would do in wisdom, in the word of God and prayer. 26 hours later, April 18th at 6 p.m., he stands before the court again, same situation. He tries to get a debate. He's not being allowed to debate. Now the examiner declares to him, you must give a simple, clear, and proper answer to the question. Will you recant or not? I don't think Martin Luther had planned these words out as carefully as they came out of his mouth, but it's clear the Holy Spirit was working. That night he spent in prayer, the time in the Word, the time he'd spent in the years before this, searching the Word in his debates against, in his books that, that defended salvation as a free gift. The whole, he'd given the Holy Spirit ammunition, and he said some of the most famous words 
ever said in a kangaroo court, let alone any court. We hear the end, you'll recognize it, but we often forget the, 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 the whole of it. Unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scripture or with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, for my conscience is captive to the Word of God, then I cannot and I will not, because it's neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Do you hear the words? Word of God. Word of God. I don't want to hear councils that contradict themselves. Lies. Popes whose decrees have contradicted each other. Word of God. Standing on the promise. I know forgiveness is free. And unless you can show me from the word of God I'm wrong, I won't. And those words have rung out. They changed the world. The enlightenment was the direct product of his standing on the word of God. Our public school system was a product of that. The whole world was changed. And so we see as we apply this text to ourselves, you stand on the word of God. Stand on the promise of God's free forgiveness. Yes, Political correctness has become a bully tactic in the United States that has silenced the freedom of religion, that has silenced the freedom of speech. Why? Because it's politically incorrect to show someone their sin. Oh, don't you dare mark something as a sin. You're judging me. But if we don't show someone their sin... We can't show them their need for a Savior. If they don't see the need for the Savior, they will not embrace the wonderful message. God has become a man and has won your salvation in your place. He was perfect in your place. He suffered the punishment for you. He gives it to you as a free gift. The ferocious wolves of this world stand against us. And you know the amazing thing is about that promise of free forgiveness? You and I were once wolves. Apart from Christ, we are slaves to the devil. And the devil cannot stand that little word, grace. Because that means free forgiveness. Free salvation. When you know that, you've heard me say it before, the gates of hell are slammed shut. You're not going there. The gates of heaven are flung wide open. You and I were the wolves who have become the lambs. What kind of a shepherd would send a lamb out among in the middle of ferocious wolves? One trying to pull an insurance scam? Or one who has put on the boss of his sheep the most powerful weapon against the devil? We read that when we did the confession, that explanation of the use of the keys. We need to tell someone their sins are forgiven. They can be confident in Christ their sins are forgiven. And that will stay the wolves, but they'll still try to take our lives. Do you hear those words that you'll be, that you'll stand before councils and be whipped in their synagogues? The synagogue was the, uh, shall we say, the mother of what is our church today. Persecution will come from governments and persecution will come from within the church. So let me tell you about the persecution that comes from the church that Martin Luther was trying to reform. On January 13th, 1547, Luther's already in heaven at this time. 
that the Council of Trent, that was a Catholic council, the Catholic Church's council, the sixth session says, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy, which remits sin for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone, it is this confidence alone that justifies us, let him be anathema. Anathema means damned. Damned to hell. So let me put this in Bible terms. If you believe John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, faith is that confidence, will not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe God's word in John 3.16, the Catholic Church damns you to hell. They have never removed this council. They've never said we were wrong. It stands firm to this day. You can go to their websites, and there it is. I've asked my Catholic friends, did you know your church damns me to hell? Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yes, they damn me to hell for believing God's promises. Why don't they remove it? Well, we don't really mean it. Then why don't they remove it? If they get it, it should be embarrassing to them. It says again, that same session, uh, that same council says, if anyone says that after the reception of the grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted and the debt of eternal punishment so blotted out to every repentant sinner that no debt of temporal punishment remains to be discharged either in this world or in purgatory before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be anathema, let him be damned to hell. So I told you earlier in the sermon that when you trust in Jesus, when you stand on those promises, the gates of hell are locked and the gates of heaven are flung open. They damn me to hell for saying that and they damn you to hell for believing it. Oh, but don't worry. You know where you read the the office, the use of the keys at the beginning of our service? If you believe the words you were saying, they damn you to hell for that too. It's not just the Catholic Church. Sadly, after Martin, Luther, after Martin Luther stood up against the Catholic Church, putting the Bible in people's hands, a bunch of people rode in on his coattails. Zwingli and Calvin, the Anabaptists, the Arminians. And they teach things like, you do your best, and then God will do the rest. Uh-uh. God does all the work. They teach, they put the work in your hands by saying, you need to weigh the evidence, and you need to make a decision for Christ, instead of, God planned for your salvation, won it for you, and gave it to you. He decided you. Yes, even in the Christian church in America, we find ferocious wolves that will insist on ways of earning your salvation. So we stand up to them by standing on the promises. How? We've got to be in the Word. The more you're in the Word, the more you know the Word. This is what happened with Martin Luther. And then when you're called to account, we're told in verse 19, Now when they hand you over, do not be worried about how or what you should speak, for what you should say will be given to you in that hour. For indeed you yourselves are not the ones who are speaking, but the Spirit of your Father who is speaking in you. Jesus makes a promise to you there just as He did the disciples. When you're put on the spotlight, say what comes to mind. I promise you that's my Holy Spirit working through you. So when we're in Bible study, when we hear the word, if the Holy Spirit works through the word, we're giving him the ammunition. And at the right time, he'll give it to us. He'll pull it out of us. I have not had to stand into a courtroom yet. 
I suspect the way America is already passing laws. Did you know there's laws right now that if I were to say certain things in this pulpit, our congregation would lose its tax-exempt status if somebody, a government official, was here to catch it? Yes, America's already losing the freedom of religion. Don't kid yourself. I expect at some point in time, I would be surprised if it doesn't happen in my life, that I don't get myself in trouble for teaching forgiveness. But even still with political correctness in America, this happens to us. Do you really belong to that old-fashioned church? How come you guys can't get with the program? What do you say? I've had that spotlight put on me before. I've walked away afterwards. You know the old V8 commercials where the guy realizes, or the woman, I could have had a V8. I'd have got my nutrition this morning. Oh, why didn't I tell them this, this, and that? I'm not very quick-witted when the spotlight's put on me. I'm pretty quick-witted after the fact when it's too late. But God has made a promise here, and I've got to see this in my own life, where afterwards that person says, Fred, I don't know how you knew what to say. You didn't know that this is where I was hurting. You didn't know that when I was saying this, it was actually God I was hating for this other reason in my life. And that thing you said, it hit home like ringing a bell. Really? Because I beat myself up all night wondering why I didn't say this, this, and this instead. The Holy Spirit knew what needed to be said in spite of my shortcomings, and He made sure it was said. That's a promise for you. The rest of our text explains to us about persecution coming. Like I said, the idea of free forgiveness is hated by the world, but you have that. You're going to be hated for it, and yet... That same message is what's made you a sheep. And God gives your mouth the blessing to stand up. It results in a witness that's a benefit to the nations. And history has proven this. The Apostle Paul appealed to Caesar twice. He was the only disciple that was a Roman citizen. So he got to appeal to Supreme Court. First time Christianity was viewed as a legal religion. Second time illegal. And a persecution spread that ended finally in 314 AD when Constantine became a Christian and made it legal. Christians were used to light Circus Maximus. They soaked their bodies down and made them the torches because they wouldn't recant. And even the Romans complained at this time. These Christians are like weeds. The more we kill, the more pop up. Because those Roman citizens, they heard from the mouths of those Christians the word of God. And some of them said, why are we killing these people? The Christians at this time themselves said the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs has become the fertilizer for the soil that is the church. It spread. What about those poor people who would not deny the word of the Lord and were killed? Hey, God had already won them to eternal life. So they got heaven. They're done with this veil of tears. So they can't harm you, can they? You have eternal life. You have God's promise. And it's not for you to screw up because it's His promise to you. So Jesus says, Now whenever they are persecuting you in this city, flee to the neighboring city. For indeed, I'm truly saying to you, you will never complete the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. He's talking to the disciples as He sends them out as evangelists. We can apply it to ourselves. What He's saying is, you could work and just in the state of Wyoming, for example... You can start at one town, and when the persecution gets bad that to save your life, you've got to move on to the next. You go to all the cities and Rollins in your lifetime, and eventually there'd be people left in that first town you started at who haven't heard the message, and people had forgotten you, and you could start all over again. Every day a child is born who needs to know their Savior. 
Every day, God allows crosses to come upon the ears of an unbeliever so that their heart is made ready to hear the good news. God is not your enemy. He loves you. And he is now sending his word to assure you that you are in his covenant of grace. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we rejoice at that nailing of that 95 thesis. God was going to work mightily to restore free forgiveness in the world, and we still have it today. And even the unbelieving world has benefited from things that happened through that Reformation. So you too, knowing God has promised you that he has saved you and you're his little lamb, stand on the promises of God's free forgiveness. Amen. Please rise. And now the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess.